You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Outdoor Edge Knives. Now, Outdoor Edge has a large range of fixed and replaceable blade knives and game cleaning kits. Now, imagine this. You just shot a deer in the backcountry or an elk or whatever, and it's time to break it down, right? It's hot. You're a long way from the truck, so time is a factor, and you got to get the meat back to the truck so there's no waste. Your blade becomes dull, so instead of having to stop and sharpen, the blade all you do is you take your outdoor edge knife you push a button on the handle the blade pops out you put a new blade back in and you're back to work you get back to the truck there's no wasted meat everybody wins now if you want to find out more information about outdoor edge and their complete line of knives and game cleaning kits all you have to do is go to outdooredge.com and when you check out or you decide you want to purchase a knife Enter the discount code NATION30, and you're going to save 30% off of your purchase. That's NATION30, and that's OutdoorEdge.com. Welcome, folks, to the Freshwater Bite Podcast, your source for everything freshwater fishing. I'm your host, Lee Kleino, and on this podcast, you will hear from diehard anglers like yourself, the backstories of those anglers, techniques they use, gear reviews, and everything in between. So if you like fishing, turn it up, because this episode's about to kick off right now. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Freshwater Bite Podcast. Um, Whoa, do I have a good episode for you guys today, because, yeah, man, just... The, one of the great things about doing this is just, I think I've said this before, is just meeting good people. And my guest today is one of those just awesome dudes, you know, and his name's Stephen Veals. And he is, he is a Boise man, uh, resides in Boise, Idaho. And the reason why I have him on the podcast today is I am a member of the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers uh, group. And every month... Not every month, but every quarter, we get a magazine of kind of like what's going on within the group. You know, some of our victories throughout the United States, other um, issues uh, that might be threatening our public lands or waterways or conservations or anything like that. Um, and we get updates on that. Well, there's an article uh, featuring Stephen Veals, and uh, he's a legend in my mind because the article talks about how he fished. For 365 days straight and if you don't know folks which i'm sure you do i don't know why i'm telling you this that's a year straight and that's fishing every single day for a year and that's a big commitment i mean i think that's more of a commitment than a lot of us realize like we say we could fish every single day but if you look at what's going on in your normal life you wouldn't be able to do that or it'd be extremely tough to do that and the amount of discipline uh commitment and just like you know self-betterment that steve went through uh to 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 do this amazing accomplishment and you know what i'm just getting right back into it here we go my new friend steven veals steve hey lee how are you what's up buddy how are things my man oh it's going good going real good how are you good good (laughs) how was your fourth of july 
It was very good. Um, we just did little day trips. Uh, I live in Boise, so uh, it gets kind of hectic in the mountains. So we were like, well, we'll just uh, kind of strike out each day and, and try a different lake um, and, and hung out, you know, with my wife. So we did uh, a little trip to a river called the Deadwood River. Okay. Um, found a nice little place. Looked almost like New Zealand, you know, it got green ferns and mossy cliffs, um, nice, um, kind of emerald green water, really good trout fishing. So, um, she likes to set up a hammock and read and I'll just usually fish with our dog Zoni and she'll, she'll go out there and try and bite all the fish I catch. Um, so yeah, it it was really good for us. How about yours? Uh, it was good. Well, I was actually on call for my job. So I was, I had to Uh, stick around and kind of not, you know, get too far away from home. Um, but no, it was good. Uh, the, the wife and I and the kids, we, uh, we just kind of went to the pool and hung out and, um, just relaxed, you know, didn't do anything too crazy. So it was, uh, it was really Uh, good, man. I'm jealous you live out West. I would love to spend (laughs) some time out there. Come on out, man. Uh, BHA members, we look out for each other. So, uh, yeah, my house is your house. You come anytime, man. We'll fly fish. All right. Uh, yeah, I'll have to take you up on that. You have to teach me some fly fishing lessons because I'm from I'm a Midwesterner, so we don't get we don't do too much fly fishing. Although there's <laughs> there's some really good streams here in Michigan, um, especially up in the oh, Grayling area and things like that. So, I uh, I hear good things about the is it the Osable? Yeah, Osable is a blue Osable. Yeah, Osable River. And, and the hex hatch I've heard good things about, um, even just nighttime mousing. Yeah. That's like obsessed with that now. So yeah. I, I will take you up on that as well. Yeah, for sure. Anytime you want. I used to, so I just recently moved back down state over the past year, but we lived for five and a half years up in that kind of like in that area, the Northwest part of, uh, of the lower part of Michigan. And so it was a great fishery oh. up there you know, fish in the bays, the big water and things like that. But then, uh, even the, yeah. the there's a lot of great rivers up there as well. So yeah, we'll, oh, we'll, we'll have to do a swap one of these times. I'm game. I'm game. Uh, I think my only Michigan experience was I went to a wedding in, is it Benton Harbor? Yep. I want to say, yeah. I uh, had some Oberon beer. Yeah, it, man. It was like amazing. And yeah, it was just a classic, like fall wedding in Michigan, like beautiful, reds and golden colors and yeah it was it was incredible i'd I'd never been to michigan before that was my only time so i'm a fan you're doing it right with the oberon beer you're kind of getting the whole michigan experience especially in the fall (laughs) it it felt right now did you have any two-hearted that's another big michigan beer i did not no i think the other options were uh of course miller and then uh pbr okay there you go yeah the, the classics, the sure. stuff you guys, uh, you know, have for breakfast, I imagine. Yeah, the affordable stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Get the day started. That's right. Um, well, hey, thanks for coming on the podcast to do this. Um, you know, I yeah, always like to stoke. I always like to start the podcast, just kind of giving folks a, a you know a brief introduction of you know yourself, where you live, and kind of like you know how you grew up fishing or how you got into fishing. Sure. Sure. Um, so I grew up in Santa Fe, New Mexico, um, high desert city in, uh, Northern New Mexico. It's actually at 7,000 feet and most people don't realize it's higher than Denver. Um, so water is really scarce and 
you know, when you do find a creek or a stream, I always just remember hiking with my dad as a kid. Um, and these are back in the days when they'd give you like Skittles or uh, Starburst to keep you going the next mile. You know, you're eight years old and you have to carry your pack for the first time. And you're like, oh, dad, this is terrible. Um, but we would get to these little high mountain, you know, beaver ponds. And I just remember like being mesmerized by that as a kid. So I watched him. He began uh, fly fishing. And, um, you know, this was back when they're the only things you could really use to, to learn about fly fishing was just books or, you know, maybe you had a wealthy doctor friend that would help you out, you know, with some casting lessons. So, um, he learned and then passed it on to us. Uh, my brother and I, Pete, that's our dog barking. Sorry about that. No, no worries. Um, and so, yeah, I think, you know, watching him gear fish, we were like, okay, gear fishing's all right. But you know, visually when you see that dry fly hit and you count to three and it just explodes, you know, with a take, I think that's what really hooked me. Um, and then I'd say from, you know, 11, 12, uh, on forward, I was just hooked on fly fishing and I don't think I've touched a conventional rod for gosh, it's gotta be decades now. When you were a kid, can you kind of think back to like when you were learning how to do that, was that quite the process of learning how to, cause you know, I guess from being a gear fisherman my whole life and you know, it's, we're fishing bigger bodies of water, but I guess fly fishing to me and it shouldn't be, but it's like a little bit intimidating almost. So it's like, you, yeah. it's, I guess it, it, it looks overwhelming when you're looking from the outside in. And then, yeah. uh, can you talk a little bit about that as a, as a kind of a kid and how, can you remember some of your first memories of, uh, your, your frustrations of how you got through them? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the first thing you realize when, when you pick up a fly rod is I'm not going to be bombing it out there a hundred yards, you know? <laughs> and so like giving yourself that room to just make those 10 foot long casts and, um, and, and, and feel that humble feeling of learning, I think is important. Um, and really just, uh, slowing down the cast, you know, I think a lot of people just want to whip it out there real quick, um, without taking the time to really do that 10 and two and, and all the stuff they teach you, uh, when you take a fly fishing class, but, um, uh, really just slowing it down, letting that back cast load and then sending it forward is really key, um, to learning fly fishing. Um, I always, when I, when I teach fly fishing to friends or, or people who are interested, you know, maybe neighbors, um, I always try to take them to places where they can't lose, you know, and it's usually dry flies cause that's what everyone thinks of with fly fishing. So, okay. you know, your, your bluegill ponds, um, places where you can slap that water so hard and you don't have to worry about a delicate presentation and they're still going to take that fly. And I think just getting that stoke factor up, um, where people are just, at least they're catching fish. And if, even if it's only like a, a 15 foot long cast, if they see that take, you know, I think they're going to want to put in the time and energy to cast on dry land and, and cast in the backyard on some cut grass, you know, where they're not snagging on their back cast. So, um, yeah, I think it's equal parts, just, um, you know, practicing on your own where you're not embarrassing yourself in your backyard. And then also, um, you know, stacking the deck in your favor and going to a pond where you can't lose, you know, when you're first starting out. Yeah. The other thing, um, you know, when I, when I, one day, hopefully soon, I want to really like get set up with my first fly rod and start to kind of figure it out. But when I do it, 
I kind of want to go like all in where it says like, you know, for the next X amount of months or if it's a year or whatever it is, it's like I'm focusing, you know, 100% of my efforts on that and almost like yeah. kind of have it be like a lifestyle almost because I feel like the most successful or the most passionate people when it comes to fly rod, it's like it's who they are and it's part of their lifestyle. Similar to, you know, yeah. if, if you really get into gear fishing or if you're a big lake or a Great Lakes angler, um, it does. It becomes part of your lifestyle. You know, you can see people's um, personalities on the way that like their trolling setups are for, you know, salmon or walleye or whatever it is here in the state of Michigan. But it's it's a way you can kind of start to see what people get into and kind of like what makes them tick when it comes to fishing. Most definitely. Yeah, I think um, some of the people I know that are most successful at fly fishing, yeah, are, are those those guys who are just the fishiest people out there, you know, that are just, you know, begging, borrowing and stealing to get days on the water. Um, yeah. Every weekend they're out there, you know, hiking a small stream, hiking up to a high mountain lake um, and just, yeah, I think the more you start to catch fish on a fly rod, um, it, it just becomes a part of you. And I think it's easier to put down the gear rod, you know, nothing wrong with the gear fishermen at all. Um, I'm a, I'm actually trying now to learn how to catch lake trout because you can't really do it on a fly rod. I mean, you can, but, um, so yeah, huge respect for gear fishermen, um, especially your guys, uh, waters out there in the, on the great lakes. But, um, yeah, I think what you said is, is spot on. Um, you kind of do have to dedicate a lot of time to it. And it's, it's frustrating in the fact that like, even to just cast out there to give yourself more chances and, and a better success rate, you know, to get the fly out there away from you, um, into, into the feeding lane of more fish, it just takes time. And, um, yeah, there's no substitute for that practice that you put in before you get out on the water. Um, I've asked another fly angler this before. But if, yeah. if you could give a recommendation or a rod length or something like that to someone, where would, where would be a good spot to start or kind of like a basic setup? If whatever's off the top yeah. of your head, I mean, without getting too far into the weeds. Yeah, no, I, I think, um, a nine foot, either five or six weight would be great. Um, and I think maybe the five weight is better just because it'll, um, land those dry flies a little bit softer. Um, but then it also has a little bit of oomph if you want to throw on a little tiny, um, woolly bugger or micro leech. Um, and it'll kind of grow with you, you know, it'll be a rod that you'll always have, uh, for the rest of your life, even as you progress within fly fishing to where you're, you know, using eight weights and you're throwing bigger meteor flies, um, and, and you're needing that punch to get through the wind. So I think a nine foot five weight is just, it's, um, it's like a nine iron, you know, in golf, you'll always have it. You'll always need it. Um, so I would recommend that I'm a big fan of like not going out and buying the most expensive stuff. Um, you know, I, I was the guy with the Cabela's rod up until a few years ago. Um, you know, the guy with the $90 echo rod, um, that my friends would laugh at. And it's just cause I'm rough on equipment, but also because they fish great, you know, and you don't need to spend a thousand dollars to get that Sage fly rod. Um, and, and, you know, having regular, uh, fly fishing gear, it, it'll perform fantastically if you just practice with it. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm a big proponent of 
trying to ease people into the sport and, and not have them go broke in the process, you know? Yeah, because I think it's a stereotype that is fading. You talked a little bit about it earlier where you're like, you know, your earliest memories or what you had perceived of fly fishing is like, you know, doctors and lawyers <laughs> yeah. or whoever is paying all this money to go to these awesome streams or th- these rivers and, you know, pay all this money. It seemed like, a, you know, like a rich man's sport. But now I feel, especially with, um, you know, recent and, you know, BHA, BHA has helped a lot with this. It becomes like I was talking about earlier, like that lifestyle, kind of like that grungy, like always have your fly rod on you in the back. And whenever you can, you know, pull over on the side of the road or, uh, you know, you got 30 minutes to yourself, find your stream, go down there, do it, and then just throw your rod right back in the bed of the truck and, you know, keep practicing. That's exactly right. Um, and I think, you know, we're, we're in a new generation where we're in kind of the, uh, the flat brim generation, as I call it, you know, you got guys rolling up with flat brim hats and, um, looking kind of thuggish, you know, on the river and, you see kind of the, uh, the older white guys get a little kind of, Oh dear. <laughs> how did they find out this private stretch of water? You yeah. know, it's like, well, you know, you can float it. <laughs> you don't have to just wade in. Right. So, um, yeah, I think it's an interesting, uh, shift in the sport and I really like it. I know some people are kind of agitated by it. And, um, a time where I really felt that tension was, this was like a month ago. I, um, went and was lucky enough to take a class with Denny Rickards, who is just a legend when it comes to stillwater fishing. Um, you know, the guy literally wrote the book on it and he's one of those guys that, you know, you'll talk to him about, well, what about Brian Chan and, and Phil Rowley and all these guys that are like considered masters of stillwater fly fishing. And he's, you know, he'll look at you and say, well, I remember when those guys were in diapers, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> I, I went and fished in a class with this guy and I think I was the youngest by like 30 or 40 years. I mean, some pretty older, uh, folks in this class. And, you know, when I rolled up, it was like, you could cut the tension with a knife, you know, cause I, I'm not dressed like these guys. <laughs> and, um, you know, it was kind of like a, so how do you know, Denny? How do you know about this lake? You know? And <laughs> it, yeah, it was definitely like a members only kind of vibe. And, um, I'm, I'm actually glad that the sport is changing and it's getting away from that because it doesn't have to be that way. And I think that, that aura, that vibe has kept a lot of people away from the sport who would honestly would be really good at it. And, and if given the chance are really good at it. So, yeah. And you can always learn a lot from younger folks or people with new, it, it, with fresh perspectives on things, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Like, you may yep. have been doing it a certain way for the last 20 years and to get someone else's fresh look on it, you know, it's, you can learn a lot from them. And, uh, you know, it's funny you're talking about that flat brim movement that's, that's happening. So, you know, there's a, there's a person who I know that he's actually like, he's got his own hashtag called flat brim nation or something like that. And he fishes <laughs> the national walleye tour. His name's Max Wilson, but he kind of represents all of us out there that do rock the flat brim on the boats and things like that. And you know, it's not just the curved, uh, you know, Yeti hats or what everybody else is wearing. And yeah, man, it's a, uh, it's a new movement. Everyone, everyone's got to embrace it. <laughs> Sign me up. I love it. I saw another great hashtag too for you, Lee, which was less egos, uh, more amigos. That was the other one I saw. There and I was go. like, that's it. That's what fly fishing needs, that's man. That's right. That's welcoming. Anything that's good for the yeah. sport. Anything, any, anything too to recruit younger, 
anglers, you know what I mean? To keep them, to keep them, uh, you know, interested in the sport and, and things like that. You know, the one thing with fishing, it's sometimes I've talked about this on other podcasts, but it's like, you know, I think in the past it was so secretive. Like, you know, if you were on fish and sharing the knowledge of how to catch fish and, you know, things like that, you know, there was the videos and the lenders and things like that. And a lot of people who've, who've done a lot for, you know, in, in our world here in the Midwest of teaching folks how to fish, like in fishermen and things like that. But, you know, before that came along or like, you know, I remember even my, my, you know, my grandpa, like, Oh, don't tell anyone about that spot or don't tell anybody about this. And it's just like, you know, now that I'm a little bit older and a little bit wiser, it's like, yeah, I guess just don't give them the exact coordinates, but let's, let's, <laughs> let's help folks catch some fish, you know what I mean? Or else no one's going to be fishing at all. It's true. Yeah. You give them a general area right. to go to like in Southwest Idaho, right. you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's funny you mentioned that because now we're in this social media era where you got guys having to blur backgrounds and oh, I, yeah, yeah I, I kind of, I respect that, you know, because that takes years sometimes to figure out those spots yeah. and figure out those exact seasonal bites. And I'm sure you experience it on the great lakes, you know, it's like, I mean, you could, it's plug and play to where you can just take somebody out and say this fly, this run, get ready three, two, one. Okay. You got a fish, you know? So, right. And that takes years to figure out and master. So I, I, I respect the need to, uh, keep those, those special places secret, right? Absolutely. You keep those in your back pocket and pass them to yeah. your grandkids or something. Totally. But, um, Hey, so another big reason why obviously I've got you on the podcast is, um, you know, I'm a BHA member and I was reading through our issues that we typically get. Um, but you, there was an article featuring you in there that's called fish every single day and it caught my eye and that's, you know, that's kind of like a, I don't know, a generalization term like, oh yeah, I fish every day. You know what I mean? But like, are you yep. really fishing every day? But then as I read the article and I went on, you literally fished every single day, 365 <laughs> days for one year straight. And you instantly became a legend in my mind because I'm like, holy shit. He actually really fished every single day in a year. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if I've ever read another article about that. Even some of the biggest names in the fishing industry, you know, they're like, well, I'm on the water 250 days a year. I'm on the water 300 days a year. You're on the water 365 days in a year. And I kind of want to get into that. And, um, you know, we don't have to go super in depth, but I would like, you know, kind of the, you know, take us back to the beginning of how the idea popped in your head. You know, I know obviously cause I read the article, but anybody who is not, um, a BHA member, um, you should go sign up and become one. But if you're not, Definitely. um, tell everyone kind of like how the idea got started in your head and you know, what led you to make that decision? Yeah. Um, and thanks for having me on Lee. That's awesome. You read that. And like you said, everyone should join uh, backcountry hunters and anglers. Fantastic organization. I digress. Um, but yeah, so it, it started with, um, my buddy, Fred Simpson and I, Fred Simpson, quick shout out to him. He's a little, uh, a local Boise legend. Um, you know, lived here his whole life. He's one of these guys that like, he will only fish one river and he will fish it and know it like the back of his hand, you know, all 50 miles of it. And he remembers every pool. He remembers every, uh, flow rate where he caught fish, um, on what and what season. So, um, 
you know, I was lucky enough to, uh, to go under Fred's wing and, um, and befriend him. And, uh, I think it was one of those things where, you know, you kind of, when you're an older man, you know, you kind of, uh, you have to court other anglers, you know, you don't just jump right in. I think you give up a spot and then they give up a spot and then maybe you meet in the middle and show them a little bit of your secret spot. But in case it doesn't go well, you know, you're like, ah, well, at least I didn't show them the spot. Um, but yeah, Fred was kind enough to, um, you know, take me under his wing, show me the Boise river. And, you know, we just became really good friends. Um, and Fred and I were talking one day and he's trying to, you know, at the time he was trying to start a family and he's saying, I still think I'm going to get, you know, 50, 60, probably 70 days on the water. This is, uh, in 2018. And, you know, we're right around new years of, of 2017. And I looked at him and I was like, uh, yeah, that's a lot. Uh, maybe I'll get that. You know, we'll see. And we're kind of like looking at each other, like, I'm going to beat this guy. I'm going to get more days on the water. So <laughs> it started off as like a, a, a silly kind of internal bet. I would say, um, you know, January 1st hits, I'm out there fishing. My waders are frozen. Um, it's miserable. Your guides freeze up and it's just, we're lucky enough that we have a tailwater running through town. So the Boise river, uh, great river. Um, but yeah, you can fish it all year. So we're, we're lucky in that regard. Um, and I think it just, it became a habit, you know, it was like, well, we got day one, you go home and you mark F on, on the calendar for fishing day. Um, you fish it the next day, mark another F and, you know, uh, pretty soon the habit is started. Um, and I think by end of February, uh, Fred was already kind of like, all right, man, you know, you proved your point. We got it. So <laughs> it was, it, it started off slow and then quickly just once you've started that habit, um, it, it starts off really well. And I kind of made some internal rules in my head. It had to be uh, 15 minutes a day minimum. But everyone knows once you're out on the water, that's the hardest part is just getting there. Once you're there, I mean, 30 minutes, two right, hours, yeah. putting, three hours, putting right? 15 yeah. minutes is nothing. <laughs> yeah. Very rarely did I just fish 15 minutes. Um, I would say maybe 30 or 40 of the days... Uh, of the 365 days, would I fish, you know, only 15 minutes and have to call it. Um, so yeah, I, I kind of made up these rules, didn't really tell them what my rules were, but, um, you know, I'm big on personal integrity. So I just kind of, um, uh, held to those rules and yeah, by February we were already kind of marking our calendars and he's like, all right, you got me, you're going to stop now. And so it's like, no, <laughs> we're going to keep going. So you've awoken the beast. Yeah. Were, were yeah. you catching fish in, in the, that first month, like in that, those cold waters? And I mean, every, every time did you go out, did you catch fish or is it something, how did that, you know, what, what kept you out there kind of thing other than the, the yeah. motivation? Um, we're lucky enough to where, yeah, in the winter, it's actually really good fishing. Um, there's a lot less anglers. Um, you know, your egg patterns are crushing it. <laughs> the first rule about fishing egg patterns is you don't talk about egg patterns, right? Kind of like fight club. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, uh, in town we have a, a great fishery with rainbows and browns. Unfortunately, we've got some sucker fish and some white fish, even the occasional pike minnow. So um, the, in the winter they gather in pretty deep holes. So, uh, you find one fish you found, you know, maybe 20 or 30. So yeah, I, I wouldn't say I went home every day, 
um, having caught fish, but more often than not, yeah, we were, we were doing pretty good in the winter time for sure. That's awesome. So, so you roll in the February and your buddy's like, okay, you know, I got your point and things like that. But from there, you, like you said, that personal integrity was the plan always to get to 365 days or is it something that you kind of just, you know, compartmentalize like, okay, if I'm going to go until March or I'm going to go until summer, you know, get through the winter, like how did that progress? Yeah. I think once I got to around 90 days, I realized like the habit is set, you know, what's a few more days. Um, and by that time it's spring, you know, starting to get nice out here. Our rivers start to run pretty big. Um, and I think I kind of looked at it as an opportunity to start stillwater fly fishing, which I don't really do a ton of, um, a lot of, you know, stillwater fly fishermen, or a lot of fly fishermen in general, just they'll shy away from big reservoirs. They hate them. They're too vast. They're too deep. You know, they don't understand where the fish are. And that was me, you know? And so I looked at it as like, I'm going to try and get better at stillwater fly fishing. I'm going to try and get better at throwing streamers during high water. You know, uh, most people tell you when the river's blown out, go home. Um, you know, and that's actually when you can catch some of the biggest fish of your life. Um, Maybe you get one tug that whole day, but that's a 25-inch brown trout, you know, that's been sitting in that hole um, waiting for a big meal all day in this icy river. So, yeah, it it just became like a, a continuing ed kind of challenge, too, where I thought about, well, let's go after species that we've never targeted, right? Uh, I, I've never caught a steelhead, so I was able to catch my first steelhead Um in town on the Boise river, they release a couple, um, from hell's Canyon on the snake river. They can't uh, go over the dam. So they'll bring them and, and let people fish for them here in town. Um, so that was just like, it kind of started me off on, all right, let's not just, you know, rail the same, uh, home waters. Let's, let's try and strike out and, and go to new places, um, and really try and learn and, and push ourselves on this. So, I think that's how I kind of approached it, Lee. That's awesome. I like how you kind of, outside of the challenge of the 365 days, you took advantage of the part to be like, I'm going to challenge myself and get fish that I've never gone for, fish in new ways. And, you know, the cool thing just about fishing in general, if you think about it, whether it's gear or whether it's with fly fishing, you know, there's always something else that you can be chasing, whether it's the next big fish, species, different bodies of water and things like that. And I think, you know, a true angler who's, who's passionate and it's kind of in their blood, that's what keeps them out there. And, you know, I think after reading your story and, you know, you know, as you're progressing and you're telling your story now, it's cool to see that that's what was driving you other than the fact that, you know, it'd be cool to fish every single day. But at the same time, I think what you're learning along the way, you're going to remember and the skills and assets and things like that are going to be with you forever kind of thing, you know? I, yeah, I couldn't agree more with you. I think, um, it was a chance to, um, look at some weak parts of the angling game, you know, uh, of your angling game and say, Hey, I need to bone up on this, 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 I'm avoiding these conditions or these lakes because of X, Y, and Z. Um, and I think, yeah, it became a, a moment where you can go into the fly shop and say, um, all right, what about this pattern? I've never seen this pattern before. When, when would you use it? What would you do with it? 
what conditions would you fish it in? So, um, you know, I, I foolishly bought, I think every kind of fly in the shop that looked weird or funny and some of it worked, you know, some of them really worked well. And I think had I not done this fishing challenge, I would have never done that. You know, I'm, I'm one of those guys that's like, you know, tried and true, go with what you know. Um, so I think it gave me the chance to, uh, fail forward, you know, um, and and it made me a better angler in the sense of I had so many opportunities to just go out and strike out. And if I did, it didn't matter because I knew I was going to be right back out the next day on some other different body water, trying a different fly. And sometimes that stuff worked, you know, and, and you're looking and you're like adding it to the, to the repertoire thinking, man, I would never, um, you know, try that pattern or tried that, um, clouds or minnow or whatever it is. So, right. um, I think it was just, it was fun in that regard. You know, we all fall victim to it and I'm, I'm definitely, you know, I I'll say that I, I fall victim to it as well. It's a flaw of mine, but you know, sometimes us who can't get on the water as much, whether it's family, you get kids or whatever it is. When you go on the water, you always seem to go back to and revert to what you know and, you fail at what you've known before or more often sometimes when you're, cause you just keep doing the same thing over and over because you have a limited time to be on the water and you just want to like, all right, I just got to hurry up and get a line in the water because I haven't fished in two weeks or I haven't fished in three weeks or whatever it is. And you know, if you look back, you're not progressing, you're not, you're not becoming a better angler because you, you, and there's nothing wrong with it. But at the same time, like you said, if you're into like individual growth and things like that, you're never going to move forward. If you, even if you only have a day, like, all right, I'm going to try something I've never done before. I'm going to troll a different way, or I'm going to, you know, like you said, try different flies and try different streams and things like that. Um, you know, I feel like, you know, it's, it might be a waste of your time not to push yourself to do something new. Oh, totally. And I'm guilty of it too. You know, like time is like the most precious commodity. Right. Right. And like you said, you know, when you have family time or, you know, you're trying to hang with your wife more. Um, I think the last thing you want to do is go out and purposely strike out and go, go back to work on a Monday and say, well, wasn't that great hanging out for 16 hours and getting sunburned and not catching anything, you know? So yeah, I think subtly this challenge snuck up on me and I was like, man, I could grow a lot from this if I really try and and do what a lot of anglers claim they do, um, you know, claim to do, which is uh, experimentation and, and tying new flies and and trying new bodies of water. So, um, I, yeah, I couldn't agree more with you. Before we go too bit, you know, too much farther down the path, um, there's a big hurdle that I want to know how you got over. How did, yep. did you get your wife to allow you to go out there <laughs> and do that for every single day? I'm super blessed in the sense that I I married my best friend. So, um, I think she knew early on that fly fishing was, was part of the marriage. You know, it's like the baggage that you inherit. Um, she's a veterinarian. So I inherited, uh, five pets from her, you know, a lot, a lot of stepchildren as I call it. So, um, you know, she inherited fly fishing and thank goodness she was, she was really cool with it. And, um, you know, hats off to my wife. She supported it 110%. Um, you know, very rarely did we have a blow up or an argument about it where she was like, I, I just don't understand why you need to do this. I think, you know, by day 90 or hundred, she was like, you could do this. You know, you really could fish every single day. Like, like most guides claim to do. Um, so yeah, she, um, 
she kind of gave me the blessing early on, which, you know, we're lucky enough. We, we don't have kids, so that makes it a lot easier mm -hmm. to full disclaimer there. Right. Um, and on the rare times where we would have an argument, it would like throw off the chi, right? Like it's a Friday, the truck's fully packed, you know, you have an argument about where you're going to fish or how far it's going to be or how late you're going to come back and you're on the road driving to what's going to be a good fishing trip and it's kind of like sinking in. You're like, oh man, bad karma. This is not good. You know, before I even wet a line, this isn't good. And sure enough, you know, the times when I would have three full days to fish from sunup to sundown, even night fish, you know, maybe I would only, I would land one fish that whole weekend, you know? So if I didn't come back and make it right, um, and apologize, you know, it, it, it the karma wasn't going to heal itself. So yeah, yeah. I, I think I, I do need to mention that I have a very cool wife, but everyone has their limits, right? Yeah. Did you ever feel guilty at one point? Like when you got further along in the process? I, just curious. Yeah. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just like, sometimes I do. I feel like that sometimes even like if I go like, if I push it too hard or I'm pushing the boundaries and I can tell you, you know, if it's getting to my wife, I'm like, oh, I'm feeling kind of guilty here. Yeah. But, uh, like you said though, sometimes, you know, I know you guys don't have kids or what, you know, whatever that choice is, but you know, that's when you, sometimes there's different guilt factors and I'm just like, ah, I can't go fishing today because you know, I've worked my butt off all week, but I've only have a certain amount of time to spend with the kids. Yeah. And, uh, one particular moment really stands out and that was, um, during this whole challenge, my father-in-law, uh, was diagnosed with cancer, um, was gravely ill. We were flying back to Colorado almost every other week to go see him. Um, and about six months before the challenge, he asked me one day while he was, um, recovering from a round of chemo, he said, I want to go fly fishing, take me fly fishing. So we went and fished uh, Boulder Creek in Boulder, Colorado, super small water, urban as heck, right? Five feet across, maybe in some sections, um, but a great brown trout fishery. And I made sure to scout it ahead of time and, you know, make sure he had three rods lined up with a dry fly option, a nymph rig and a streamer so that anytime he would snag on his back cast, I was swapping him out with another rod and he was back on to fish. Um, and you know, and this is a guy who's in his eighties, um, you know, just battling the awful side effects of chemo and he's hooking trout and is stoked. Um, and I think knowing that, um, we're going to fast forward to June of the fishing challenge. Okay. He unfortunately passed away from that cancer. Um, Sorry and so, that. yeah, thank you. Um, so obviously like an, an awful time in, in our lives and especially for my, my wife, um, we're in Boulder and it's the day of his funeral. Um, and my wife kind of looked at me like, you, you going to go fish? And I felt awful. Right. And the only thing, and, and, you know, call me a monster. I thought about it. I said, I'm going to go right back to where I taught John, my father-in-law, where, 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 uh, to fly fish. So we went, we, I went back to Boulder Creek, um, and had an amazing day fishing. And I felt like he was almost looking down and it was kind of like a, uh, a thank you, you know, for teaching him to fly fish. So, um, yeah, during the challenge, like, you know, life moves on, right. right. Funerals happen. 
life just continues to pass you by. So I think I didn't really think about that when I started the challenge was, you know, what about those difficult days? What are you going to do then? You know, smart guy, you're going to go out and fish. So yeah, it was, it was tough for sure. Oh, thank you for sharing that. I mean, I didn't mean to pry too much, but I was just curious if that, you know, how those, how it was going out every day and things like that. And just, you know, just from a, like I said, an outsider's kind of view. And I was in awe when I read this article in this, in VHA of what you have done and, you know, these kind of questions stopped, started popping in my mind. And just from, you know, it's just a human, you know, kind of reaction, like, man, I wonder if you ever felt guilty or I wonder if you ever did this. And like, <laughs> you know, cause it's something that we all feel and, you know, different, you know, when we're passionate about our hobbies and, you know, things like that start to overtake our lives almost because we're thinking about it all the time. And, um, but thank you for sharing that story. That was a, a great story. And I'm sure he was, you know, right there kind of like almost giving you the pass to go out and be like, you better get out there and, you know, whack them good, you know, from being here in, in Boulder. Yeah, no, I, I totally, if from the first cast I made, it felt right. You know, it was like, okay, all that guilt leaves you and you're just back to catching fish and throwing one up for them and just saying, you know, thanks, John, this one's for you, man. Yeah, so man. yeah, F- absolutely. Fishing has, you know, it's therapy for all of us in many different ways. So that's, that's a cool, cool story. Absolutely. Um, so, okay. So yeah, so you're progressing into summer now. You kind of took us through, through spring. Um, so basically you're halfway there. What did the halfway point kind of look like and what kind of species of fish are you starting to get into now? Yeah. So halfway point looked a lot like, um, I and people catching sturgeon, you know, we're lucky enough to have sturgeon on the snake river here in Idaho. Um, and through a, uh, a fishing group on Facebook, I had posted kind of a, a, uh, Hey guys, let's not leave our trash down by the river. You know, here's, here's the hundred plus pounds of trash I took out one day after fishing. Um, just kind of a nice PSA, right. And a guy, um, Jim, Jim Swartz from Swartz's Sturgeon Pond reached out to me and he said, Hey man, I got a gift certificate for you. You and a guest come out to my Sturgeon Pond I'm like the only licensed guy in the state of Idaho who's licensed to like raise these things. Um, and he has a ton of sturgeon in these, you know, 20 to 30 acre ponds. Um, and I said, could I catch one on a fly rod? And he's like, I don't know. I've seen it done maybe once or twice, but you know, your guess is as good as mine. Here's the kind of tackle and, and the poundage you need to have for your leader and for your fly line. Um, so I went out and like cobbled together some, you know, poor man's tarpon line with like 80 pound tarpon shock line, um, and some massive monofilament. And we took a streamer and soaked it in like dead herring sauce, I think, um, and put it on the bottom of that pond. And sure enough, that thing got hoovered up within minutes. Um, and the sturgeon bite is weird. They kind of nibble on it and they slowly munch it. So like, you know, as a fly fisherman, you absolutely want to like set the hook right away. And he's like, no, no, no. What are you doing, man? So you have to watch your line get picked up and move and you're counting almost yeah. to like five, you know, and by on the count of five, he's like, put the wood into him. So you're swinging for the fence, you know, he finally hooks at the sturgeon and it just takes off and the pond is muddy 
it's thrashing, you know, and it, it looks like some kind of great white shark, you know, and it's, it's just, it's scary to like get in there with them and try and <laughs> wrangle this thing. And like, I just, I felt so out of my element and it took, uh, three hours, about three hours, 18 minutes for us to land this sturgeon. And I say us because my uncle was there and I would have to hand off the rod and like, you know, go take a piss, drink a beer. Then we'd tag team back in. Um, he would fight it. I'd fight it for a while. And it was just, it was insane. So this thing's running all over the pond. Um, finally you got to go in you got to tail them. So you're trying to grab this tail and it was a six and a half foot long sturgeon. So, I mean, this thing can pull you into the water and, and basically drown you if it wants to. Um, so like, you know, we're with this old guy, Jim, and he's having us tail these fish. Um, but yeah, it was insane. You know, I, I caught four sturgeon that day and it lasted like all 10 hours. I mean, it's exhausting. <laughs> so, um, that, that was summer. I can't believe you caught that on a fly rod. That blows my mind. <laughs> I'm looking at, so, I mean, again, a lot of people might not have access to the photo or things like that because it's in, you know, the magazine, but yeah. you're, you're in the, you're in the water and you're like submerged <laughs> in the water, cradling this thing. And it's funny because, uh, the irony of it is you got your, uh, your river net on your back and I'm like, what are yep, you planning like on doing? Like a total noob. What are you, right? what are you planning on doing it. with that? <laughs> Oh man. Yeah. I, I, I guess tossing it aside cause I don't need it. Oh yeah. man. You look <laughs> good though. Doing it though, man. You're holding the sturgeon like a pro. <laughs> I love it. Thank you. Yeah. And, and their eyes are really delicate too. I didn't yeah. know that. So, um, when you roll them over, you try to like keep them out of the weeds and out of the, the tall grass. So they don't get scratched up. Um, but it's amazing how they, they go to sleep when you roll them over. And I never knew that. Um, and so this thing is like a little baby in your in your arms and little baby, you know, six and a half foot long baby. Um, and you, I mean, you take out the hook real gently and you roll it over and it just comes to life again. And it's like off, off to the race races. So yeah, it, it's so in, intimidating. That's crazy, man. I mean, I didn't know that they fall asleep either when you um, roll them over, but you would think like something like this, a prehistoric dinosaur wouldn't be such, you know, a baby to begin with, but there's, they're so delicate and gentle and, Oh, Hey Lee, sorry about that. That. Oh, you're good. Can you hear me? You still got me? Yeah, I still got, I got you. you now. Yes. Yeah. I said what I was saying. Oh, cool. I, sorry about that. No, it's all right. I was saying it's, it's amazing. Like these prehistoric, you know, basically dinosaurs are so, uh, you know, like you said, baby, like when you get, you gotta be real gentle with them and things like that, but they're so they've been around for thousands of years and things like that. But that's a, that's awesome. We have them here over in the Great Lakes too. I've never caught one, but you hear those stories, even guy, you know, gear fishermen hooking into them. Like you said, taking an hour or two to get them into the boat, especially in the rivers, the, the, you know, the, the fast current rivers that they're, they even got more legs to, to run and the guys that get them in, they're exhausted. Like you said, they're handing off their rods and things like that. So to, for, you know, kudos to you for doing it on a fly rod. Like I said, man, you're a legend. Oh, thank you, sir. <laughs> I, I really, <laughs> undeserving, not worthy. I appreciate that. That's awesome. So that's cool. That's a highlight of your summer and, you know, checking off another species off your bucket list. Yeah. I think by that point, um, we had a Europe trip planned and that's where I got the most stressed out because I was like, how am I going to keep this challenge up? So I decided that I would go like, you know, an hour and a half before our flight. 
here in Boise, you know, I was going to fish at like four in the morning. Right. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you catch an Uber on a dark, you know, river bank at like a city park, you know, and the guy's looking at you like, all right, you're either homeless or crazy. Like, I don't know why you have this fly rod with you, whatever. It's a fair, you know, takes you to the airport and to kind of keep it fair. I would, as soon as I would finish fishing, since I knew I was crossing time zones, I would set my stopwatch, and if I didn't fish within the next 24 hours, no matter where I was, the challenge was over, and I would have failed. So, I mean, you can imagine the stress of, like, when you lose your baggage or your flight's delayed, right, and we're making several connections to get to Europe. I was, like, stressing, like, I got to fish in five more hours. You know, if I don't, I'm screwed. So um, I think that was, like, the most challenging part. Yeah, that takes a lot of discipline, man. That's, <laughs> I mean, the, the, especially with everything on, you know, uh, podcasts or whatever, or social media, everyone talks about, you know, discipline and self-improvement and things like that. But, you know, something like that, it's blowing my mind. Like well, <laughs> most of the discipline we talk about is like wake up and make your bed or wake up and run a mile or something like that before work. I mean, the stress that you got of something that you you know, love to do is now stress, stressing you out as you travel across the world. Yeah. And my wife will, will attest to it. I would bring my fly rod on the plane just in case our bags got lost because I knew oh, I yeah. could literally just bolt out of the airport and go find like a carp pond at a golf course, you know, like just something to save the challenge. Sure. So yeah, I would keep like a handful of flies on my carry on bag. I mean, I was, I was locked and loaded. So um, yeah, <laughs> serious about it. So you went over to Europe. Was that for work or was that for pleasure or what? We did a personal trip. Um, we stopped in England, uh, Norway, Sweden, and Denmark. Um, and when, when we got to England, I was excited because of course, you know, birthplace of fly fishing. Um, you know, you see all these brochures where you're fishing next to a castle from you know 1200 ad um you know your your fishing runs that are two three hundred years old you know whatever it is um and, and you get there and it's like rules after rules after rules right like right. you may you may only fish one fly and you are only <laughs> to fish these 300 yards and that's it you know a meters right and you know it, it's a stuffy crowd and they're like mowing your back cast zone, you know, you got a bench every 200 yards to take a load off and relax, you know, and, and it's just like, it was so hilarious. Um, but you know, you're fishing these little spring creeks and, um, you know, trout are still trout, you know, they don't care if it's a country club. So, right. um, you know, catching these German Browns out there was, was awesome. And it's a lot of like, kind of, uh, put and take fisheries, you know, like these little still water ponds where <laughs> they don't want you to release them. You know, they're kind of like, that's your fish. Don't, don't give it back to us. You know, we'll just stock another. So I was always secretly, you know, I'd catch one and like look at the clubhouse and no one's looking, I'm letting it go again. You know, it's for the, the eight year old next to me to go catch, you know? Sure. So, um, it, it was just like mind blowing, like way different. And, you know, especially talking about access, I mean, every piece of land has been claimed since before Christ, you know? And so it's all private. I mean, there's no such thing as like, I'm just going to roll up and fish this spot, you know, like we, we take for granted in the U S. Um, 
you know, people pay for like, I think they call them beats, but like, you know, a section of river, you're a member of like, you know, a quarter mile and, and you're in this club together with a bunch of other anglers. So no way. it was just so foreign it's to all me. It's all privatized, and just, huh? Oh man, it was like the paperwork involved to just get to go cast and, and wet a line was ridiculous. Wow. So, um, yeah, it kind of shattered the aura and the dreams about it, you know? Yeah. Talk about perspective and how lucky we are here in the States to, to have such, you know, access to public land. And like, I mean, can you imagine about that? Like thinking like, oh, you're not a member on this part of the stream, you know, so you can't <laughs> fish here. I'd be like, what world am I in? Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> And I hate to knock Texans, but you know, the, the wealthy Texans that move here to Idaho, that's the kind of world they want. You know, they get here, they're carving up rivers, they're, you know, drawing maps of like, and it is so deeded that this land is for John Heronsworth, you know, and his whole ranch and his family and and next of kin. So yeah, it it could get out of hand pretty quickly if, if, if we let it here in the U S. Wow. That's wild. All right. So Man, you're taking this thing international, and then yep. you make it back. Where now? Well, let's uh, take us a little bit into the fall time. Um, yeah, probably one of my favorite pictures of you is you're in your Halloween costume, and <laughs> you're holding up looks like a beautiful brown, and uh, you know it's just again putting it in perspective of how serious you're taking this thing. You know, what, talk talk about that night a little bit. Yeah, I, so I think that night. Um, my wife and I had a a Halloween party for her office. And then it's also a tradition for Fred Simpson and I, we always try and dress up in costume and go fly fishing every Halloween night, uh, no matter how busy we are, no matter what's happening. So, uh, I think that was our third Halloween in a row doing that maybe second, second Halloween in a row. Um, so I was dressed as like a 1920s butler and, um, And that's one of those things where, you know, we only had an hour to fish. It's starting to get dark. Um, And on days where I would have all the time in the world, maybe you don't catch a fish. But on times when it's like really not convenient to go fishing, um, you know, you could hook into the biggest trout of your life. And that's what I did. I caught my personal best brown trout. It was 24 and a half inches, just just shy of the 25 mark. Um, And, you know, maybe a six, seven pound brown and the best part is, is it's in water that any guy can access 10 minutes from their house in a very urban fishery, right? So this mm-hmm. is like, you know, downtown Boise, you got, you know, surrounding towns, Eagle, Meridian, Garden City, um, you know, maybe 600,000 people are in this valley. So this river gets a ton of pressure, right? And this is a brown trout that lives under an undercut bank 24 seven, you will never see this fish during the day. And it comes out for a select part of the night and it's out there to just murder fish, right? Big bait fish. So, um, I think that's what made it the most special was just being able to, you know, feel that hook set and it's all dark. You know, you can't have a headlamp on until you start to hook into a fish so you don't spook them. And you just see that white water start thrashing, you know, and your eyes are like so dilated and, and you're just thinking like, this is it. This is the record trout, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then the next thought is like, keep them away from those logs, keep them away from those roots. Uh, how deep is it here? I forgot, you know, now I'm wandering around all over the dark trying to land this thing um, and, and not top my waders, you know? So Fred landed it for me did me a solid. And I mean, we were stoked. Like we we're just staring at this thing in the water, like, Oh my God, you know, people go 
they'll travel to New Zealand and spend eight grand just to catch a fish like this, you know, and we're, we're doing it on public land in a metro area, 10 minutes from my house, you know, and I think that's what makes it special. Yeah, I feel, you know, probably all the moments and all the nights and, you know, the stress and things like that. I mean, everything kind of leads up to those big, impactful, memorable moments like that. You know what I mean? Like, you know, the grind. I mean, that's just putting in your time on the water. I mean, anglers always say that, like, what's, how do you become a better angler? And, you know, it's kind of cliche, but it's true. It's just time on the water. You know what I mean? And, you know, look how long, not saying that, uh, you know, you couldn't have got one at, at any time, but you know, you're here, you are fishing every day all over the world and here it is in your backyard. And it's like all that moment, all that time leads up to something like that. It's pretty cool. That's so true. And I'm sure you've come across this, you know, maybe in a year of fishing, you get three chances at a fish that size. Right. And it's from that initial thump and you see the rod go down. And I think you just kind of have that quick thought of like, don't fuck this up, right? You get one chance at this, right? And if you don't land it, it doesn't matter. Your friends aren't going to believe you. They don't care how you got a glimpse of it from the boat or from the shore. You know, no one cares unless you have that proof, that photo or video proof. So I think, yeah, it, it really puts it into perspective of like, you know, hundreds of hours of fishing, you know, maybe thousands and you get three chances at a fish like that. So I think that's what, you know, you understand it. The hardcore anglers, they get that and you know, you don't want to mess it up. Sure. My biggest Brown came through the ice, ice fishing. Oh my gosh. Was this, uh, <laughs> like Michigan? What are we talking? Uh, I'll keep the lake to myself, but oh, okay. it was a lake. I, like, in, I respect that. Yeah. It was a lake in Northern Michigan and um, nice. I woke up that morning at like three thirty. It was a oh, wow. It was like a two hour drive for me, hour and a half drive. Yeah, and I was on the ice by myself. You know what I mean? Just going out there, and I remember the day was it was really sunny. Um, but you know, again, it's it's one of those things that like you tell people what you're doing. I'm like, hey, I'm gonna go ice fishing tomorrow. Like, what time are you going? Well, I'm waking up and leaving at three thirty. They're like, I'm out. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, no, I'm good. I don't <laughs> yeah. want to go. But I was completely by myself and, you know, when, you know, trout are in cold water, they've, I mean, they've got legs that, that go on for days and here I am trying to get this thing up and getting it through a, an eight inch hole. And I'm just like, oh man, I cannot screw this up. Like you, like you said, no one will believe me if, if this thing breaks off, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because I've seen its head, I don't know how many times up at the hole. And then as soon as yep. it got up to the hole, it would just go for a run again. Oh man. And it was just peeling, peeling, peeling drag. And I'm like, I've got to get this thing in. And when I got it in and landed it, it was like, I couldn't speak. I couldn't talk. I was just, I didn't know what to do with myself. (laughs) Like I started looking around on the ice because I'm in the middle of this lake, like of other shanties around me that are kind of far off. But like, I just started screaming. I was, I went nuts. I couldn't believe it. (laughs) Got some photos with it. And it was like amazing. I, I I loved it, but yeah, I know exactly what you're, what you what you're saying what size was it what uh do you guys weigh it or uh 26 inches oh my gosh that's yeah. insane i yeah. love it 26 that's so inches. awesome yeah. and then you get to rub it into all the people who uh gave you the cold shoulder like i'm not waking up for that yeah you exactly yourself like um, yeah but it was like not, trying something new it was like trying something new like kind of like what you talk about like when you go out and or you go to an area that you haven't been to before or but now i know where this spot is and you know the following year i caught i caught a steelhead in the same spot through the ice so 
it, oh my gosh. I'm on to something with where these fish kind of come in to, to eat or, you know, this is usually in, in the later part of winter. So, um, you know, there's a, a lot of them are kind of coming in there for pre-spawn and things like that, but, um, they're just putting on the feed bags in there. And, you know, when you hook into one, it's like, you don't know what's going to happen because, you know, you got six pound test line and you're on an eight inch hole that's razor sharp on the edges and you don't know if it's going to break off or what, but yeah, it was something I'll always remember. That's incredible. Well, especially because, yeah, ice fishing, it's almost like designed for you to fail and cut your line yeah. you know, with, with that hole. It's yeah. Just, I'll send you yeah. a, I'll send it's you a like pic of it. It's like the deck stacked against you. Yeah, I'll send you a pic of it. and It's nothing like it. out of a stream, but would you say that's your favorite fish to go for is browns? I see you post a lot of photos of it with them. I think so, only because just the how sneaky they are. Okay. And, you know, the more I did this challenge, the more I would just even research like game and fish studies and – you know, I find out, wow, there's only 3% of the fish in our, our Boise River are browns and, and falling. You know, the population's actually crashing. So um, that puts it into perspective. I think when I learned that, you know, the average brown trout at night, they can travel two miles and then come back to where their, their resting spot is. Wow, so really? I think you don't know, like, if that brown's in transit, is that its home, you know, and it's just, it's a sneaky fish. And they they don't take crappy presentations. You will watch them reject it time and time again when you see them in clear water. Um, they're just, it's the FU fish, you know. They'll rise up to it, and you'll watch them put the fly on their nose and just, like, flip you off as they go back down. So <laughs> I'm a huge fan of browns. I love a fish that'll just, you catch it, and it stares you right into right in your eye. You know, it's looking into your soul. Like, yeah, you lucked out this time, buddy. But I'm gonna come back for you. <laughs> like, it's it's a badass fish. It is humbles you. Yeah. Oh, for sure. All right. So take us into the finish line of this thing. Um, yeah. You, you're coming in. You can kind of see the home stretch. Talk a little bit about that, and then kind of crossing the yep. finish line. So the, uh, the finish line was like, I was still doing some fall fishing and I decided I still had some more species I wanted to target, you know, we're maybe at like day two seventy. I'm not good at math. I spent my whole life avoiding math, but, um, you know, so I decided I need to catch a bull trout. I've never caught a bull trout. Right. So I go up into the mountains of Idaho and, this is a trout I've tried for four years to catch and, you know, super endangered here in Idaho. You don't get a lot of chances at them, but they love streamers. They're just out to murder fish, right? So you're fishing big patterns for them, big streamers. And as soon as it hit, I knew it was not a rainbow. Like there's no way, you know, no fish comes out there and just wants to murder your fly. So I set the hook on this thing and, my first bull trout ended up being a nice 20-inch bull trout. Took me for a ride all over the river. It's like a ball of muscle, you know, like you hold it in your hand and it's just fighting you all the time. It's like, you know, just get me out of here. And like, you can just feel the strength in it. So um, was able to catch a bull trout. Um, then I went for some kokanee. We have landlocked kokanee here. So pretty cool. And a lot of our reservoirs, they'll run upstream and, and spawn and I guess try and spawn. Um, so yeah, you get a, a chance that, you know, of a scene that looks like something in Alaska, you know, you're surrounded by red kokanee everywhere when you wait out. So I, I always think that's really cool. Um, then my next and final fish that brought me into winter again was a golden trout. So, you know, you talk to anybody who targets golden trout, 
they were sprinkled all over the the mountains in the mountain west um for i think some some mule trains from a, a guy in california right from the eastern sierras and the coolest thing about these trout is it's just the secrecy right when you find these trout, it's, you know, loose lips sink ships, right? No one is going to give up their golden trout spot, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that was just the coolest, you know? You could waste five, six days in a backpacking trip, and I have, and you don't catch a golden trout. You don't even find the lake that they're in, right? You could even find the right lake that they're in, and they're going to be the most fickle trout, right? So I think that's where I thought, all right, I got to catch a golden trout, um, was able to go up into the high country in Idaho all by myself. Um, and this was even after giving my friends the cold shoulder, right? They were like, Hey, come fish this reservoir. I went and fished it for a day. Nothing was happening. They were going to stay another three days. I'm like, I'm out. I got to go. I got to pursue this record. I'm trying to get this golden trout. And they laughed at me, you know, Right. and and everyone's laughing until the photos start coming in through text. Right. And they're seeing these beautiful, you know, reds and yellows and, you know, they have orange on them. And, you know, I think my friends were just kind of like, wow, he he did it. You know, he, he, he's the one laughing and getting the last laugh. So golden trout was amazing. They live in just the cleanest, clearest water. You know, we're talking like emerald green, emerald blue water. Um, and I think that's what makes them really special is just the work you have to put in to get them, you know, mm-hmm. five, 10, 20 miles even. So, um, and, and again, nothing's certain, you know, it, you could, you could strike out still when you put in that work. So, um, yeah, that brought me into, uh, to Christmas, I'd say. I'm looking at the, the golden trout right now. That's, I've never seen anything like that. It's a beautiful, incredible, damn, beautiful fish. damn fish. Yeah. When it's like holding like Willy Wonka's golden ticket, you know, oh, like man. you're staring at it. Like, did I win? Did I seriously just win? You know, you see that so, thing, you want to get it like tattooed on you or something. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> and every, and every one is like crazy different, right? Some were red, some were all orange, some were yellow, some were orange and yellow. I mean, it just, yeah, it looked like graffiti. Like just everything was different, you know, on each one, just spray painted up. Yeah. That's a good way to describe it. Almost like something like Derek DeYoung would paint or something like that with all those cool colors or something. It looks amazing. Definitely. That's awesome. All right. So then talk about crossing the finish line of what getting to that last day. How did the, how did it feel kind of like, what did you do? Did you do anything to celebrate or anything? Yeah. So I'll take it back, I guess, uh, three weeks from the finish line. So my wife was so stoked. God bless her. She went out and had a trophy made that said, you know, Stephen T Beals, fish 365 days and she put the dates on there and I was like oh man you jinxed it but that is the coolest gift ever (laughs) I haven't I haven't earned this you know like I can't accept this gift so I literally I think like had her put it away I was like I don't want to see it yet you know I thanked her for it but I was just like oh man don't show me that you know that we're so close to the finish line so um (laughs) and then I had my mother-in-law in in town so um you know and she's kind of like looking at this from an outsider perspective of like, are you guys okay? Like marriage wise, like he just seems to leave at odd hours, you know? And like, he's out at night. You don't know where he's running around, you know, like, is he out cheating on you? You know, do you need, do you need to talk? You know? And my wife is like, it's fine. You know, he's almost there. Just let him do his thing. 
And, you know, Christmas night, I think I caught a 22 inch brown trout, um, night fishing. And that was just to like, I mean, get out of the house, you know, escape the, the family for Christmas just for a little bit, get some fresh air and, you know, end up hooking this nice 22 inch brown. I was super pumped. And I think I had, there's like Christmas lights behind me too. <laughs> it's like in front of some dude's house, you know? And, um, yeah, I, I think at that point I was like, now it's time to just, you know, coast on in to January 1st, 2019. And I went and ended it on January 1st, caught uh, a brown trout, my favorite trout, little 14 incher. Uh, we held up the trophy, took some photos of it next to the trophy. And, uh, yeah, we called it a challenge. It, it felt just like amazing. And at that point I was like, I want to do two years of fishing nonstop. And my wife was like, no, no, that's not happening. <laughs> Guess bought, who's not fishing for two years? I you bought know? you this like, trophy. Okay. I bought you this trophy and, uh, yeah. you, you can stare at it every day. Oh yeah. No, I was like, oh man, I could do it. You know, once the habit's on, like you can just, you keep, don't, you keep going. But I think if I'm honest with myself, it got a little tiring at times, right? Like there's just times where like you're tired, you know? And like the last thing you want to do is like go down the river, freeze your nuts off, you know, in November or December, uh, just to check off a box. Right. And it, you're the only person that's going to judge you. So like, you know, how do you keep going? How do you keep that motivation? Like it was really hard. And especially when you're like inconveniencing family, you know, like you're just, Oh man, you know, uncle Pete haven't seen you in a while. Hey man, I got to bounce. I got to go fishing. I'll catch you later. You right. know? And I think like, you know, my mom was just like, he's so disrespectful. Like, what is this? You know, he's just going to go fishing right now. Like, where's he going to go? So yeah, it, it got to the point where I think everyone was ready for it to be done. And if I'm honest with myself, probably, uh, you know, I was ready as well. Yeah, man. But like the, the mindset of being able to start something that intense and that dedicated, you know, and then stick through it the whole way. Not only is that a great, I mean, really at the end of the day, the great reward is all the knowledge that you just put in your back pocket and also proving to yourself of you accomplishing something bigger than fishing. You know what I mean? That's like, that's pretty cool. You know, that there's not too many of us that are ever going to be able to do something like, you know, fish every day in our, of our, you know, for a year. That's, that's amazing. Oh, thank you. No. Yeah. I, I, um, I felt really, really lucky to have done it. And part of the challenge was also like, you know, making it not just about me, but also, you know, trying to mentor people along the way. So I started volunteering with big brothers, big sisters of Idaho. And, you know, my wife and I realized, Hey, if we're not going to have kids, we still want to give back to somebody. So, um, you know, my mentee, Brennan, he was just along for the ride in a lot of these days during the challenge. So, you know, we were teaching him how to fly fish, you know, teaching him about conservation, picking up trash along the river, um, you know, trying to just uh, give back and, and not just make it about yourself, I think was also important. Um, you know, the random neighbor who hears about it is like, I'd love for you to teach me how to fly fish. And normally I'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone says that, you know, but I was like, okay, how about tomorrow? Like, I'll see you at 6am. Let's do this, you know, and they're kind of like, oh boy. All right. Yeah. Was kind of just saying that to be nice, you know, right. <laughs> but, you know, make conversation. But I was like dead serious about it. I'm like, let's do this, you know. So um, I think it really taught me um, 
you know, regardless of your political affiliation, especially during the Trump years, it's been a tough period for public lands. And um, I think it really taught me we need to step up, you know, especially as millennials, like we're used to our parents kind of doing the environmental legwork and joining the organizations. But I think it taught me that like, you know, this river, um, it's such an amazing resource and I want to do more to protect it. I want to join organizations that protect rivers like these. So um, it really kind of taught me to put my money where my mouth was and, and not just talk the talk, but walk the walk also. So, um, you know, trying to join, uh, organizations like real recovery, you know, big brothers, big sisters, um, trout unlimited, um, NRDC national natural resources, defense council. They do amazing things for not just water, but, uh, land conservation, environmental health, all that good stuff. So, um, yeah, it, it, it became more than just a fishing challenge, I'd say. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's exactly what I was getting to, to me reading the article and things like that. You know, when I got done with it, I'm like, you know, at the end of what he accomplished, it was so much more than just fishing. You know what I mean? It, to me, that's what resonated. I mean, the, the awesome fish that you caught along the way were a bonus, but like you said, if it's, uh, you know, a clear mind at the end of it, or, you know, a, a fresh perspective on what we have to do as conservationists and, and, and anglers to, to pass down to the next generation. It is our job. It's our duty. I mean, we're here enjoying the fisheries and, and things that, you know, our ancestors did for us. Um, and it's, it, it's something that's never gonna stop and something that we always have to fight for, unfortunately, but also fortunately to, to, to keep the rivers and our waterways, uh, healthy. So, Oh yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. I think, yeah. And it's not lost on me now having gone through it, you know, thinking about, I was able to fish these rivers and these urban rivers because someone stood up and said, Hey, we're guess what we're not going to do dump cars in here. Guess what we're not going to do, you know, have yeah. a quarry right here where we're, you know, leaching sulfuric acid into the river, um, and all these minerals that aren't supposed to mix with water. Right. You know? Um, yeah, I think that is the most important thing is somewhere in the past, you know, someone or a group of people stood up and said, it ends now, we're going to start protecting this river. We're going to do things differently. And I think that's the coolest part of all of it. Yep. Totally agree. Well, Hey man, you're literally uh, in my phone as uh, Stephen Veal's the legend. So and I'll <laughs> screenshot and send that to you. So oh um, man, uh, it, it's something that uh, again I'm I'm in all of hats off to you, and uh, you know I just want to thank you for for coming on the podcast and uh, sharing your story with me. I know not everybody's uh you know backcountry and hunters and anglers member, so I, I thought it would be something cool to share on the podcast and a lot of folks listening to this who are diehard anglers, no matter where they live, it's a cool story to hear. Hey, I'm super grateful Lee and I can't thank you enough for reaching out. Um, I, it's an undeserved title, the legend, but I will take it, uh, and, and just, you know, just for this podcast. Um, just run with I'm, it. I'm just super, yeah, super grateful to, to have an invite to be on the pod and, um, you got a new, uh, fan of the pod. I was, you know, I think Lee had reached out to me over Instagram and I was like, man, I got to study up. I got to like listen to his podcast. And I was just blown away at not only the, the quality, um, but just the content, the people you're interviewing, um, your interview style is just amazing. Um, it's just so relaxed and, and it's just really friendly and, but also very, 
um, investigative, you know, and you, you ask really great questions. And so, um, just, yeah, very humbled and, and very honored to be on the pod and, and, uh, you got a new fan of the pod for sure. Awesome, man. I appreciate it. Um, where can folks, uh, you know, follow you if you want to throw your handles out there or, um, some of the groups that you're involved in, if they want to check it out, obviously, you know, BHA, anybody who's listening to this, um, especially in the state of Michigan, I'm not saying that it's not huge, but it's growing and there's definitely, we can always use more members, um, donations, things like that. And it's all going towards what we all love to do listening to this podcast, which is, uh, hunt and fish and, um, you know, uh, uh, practice conservation. So where can people find out more about you? Yeah. So, um, I have a website, I'm a cinematographer. So, uh, Steven deals.com S T E P H E N the old school spelling. Okay. Um, you know, check out my videos. Um, I'm on Instagram as Steve, the Cholo, Steve underscore the underscore Cholo that comes from, uh, the New Mexico roots. Okay. Um, a little funny, funny story there. And yeah, I would say again, plug in backcountry hunters and anglers, amazing organization, very affordable to be a part of. And, you know, you you get to be a part of a group that not only lobbies for public lands, but gets in senators faces, gets in, you know, these congressmen's faces and and basically forces them to do the right thing for public lands. And I think that's awesome. Um, And you get you, you feel that that full weight of the membership behind you of those, you know, hundreds of thousands of members. So huge organization. Uh, got to give a shout out to Trout Unlimited as well. Um, real recovery, you know, for all us anglers who are sitting there thinking, I got some skills. I would love to pass them on to somebody and help people out. These are guys that have cancer that they take out on the river. And, um, you know, you, you volunteer as a guide and, you work in a team kind of guide setup and you take these guys out on the river and there's amazing moments of, you know, seeing someone catch a fish for the first time and also really intense moments where they're talking about, Hey, you know, I almost died a couple months ago. And, uh, for the first time ever, I felt like coming out of my house and, and I didn't want to, you know, slip away or, or even just, you know, pass away from chemo or on hospice. So, um, super powerful organization. Can't plug them enough. And, uh, of course, big brothers, big sisters, everyone's got a chapter in their home state. Um, and just a great way to pass on these fishing skills to the next generation. These are the guys and gals who are going to step up for our waters later on when we're all in wheelchairs. So can't plug them enough. I love them. Awesome, man. I love it. Well, Steve, thanks again for your time. And, uh, Hey, I'm looking forward to, uh, following along your journey and, uh, see what else you, uh, big fish you post up there. Hey, likewise, Lee, thanks again for reaching out. And yeah, I'm going to come to Michigan and you got an open invite to Idaho anytime. Dude, Still I'm going to take you up on that. I'm going to take you up on that for sure. I can't wait to we're get gonna back fly out west. Fish too. It's we're going to put the gear rods away. We're just going to fly fish. Yeah. I'm just going to, we're going to start your challenge, your 365 fly fishing challenge. My challenge is just going to be to learn how to cast a fly rod. That's going to be my challenge. That's day one, hour one. <laughs> the rest of the time we're slaying fish. That's it. All right. Bro. No more classroom stuff. We're just out doing it. I love it. I can't wait to do it. Cool. All right, man. Be good. Hey, thanks again. All right. See you. Bye. Cool story, right? And just, you know, just a, just a good dude. Steven Veals, everybody, make sure that you check out some of the programs and things like that that he's involved in and head on over to his uh, his website and social media 
uh, handles that he just plugged right there. I highly suggest that you follow Steve and, you know, the dude is just awesome. You could probably reach out to him with any fly fishing questions that you have or anything like that. Um, I can almost guarantee he's going to get back with you and answer you and point you in the right direction. But, um, you know, I really appreciate him coming on the podcast and, you know, some of the questions that I was asking him, I was kind of, you know, like I talked about, it was just from that human perspective of, you know, an outsider looking in, like, you know, when I talked about the, did he ever feel guilty and like, what did he learn along the way and what, how did he feel, um, you know, when he got to the finish line, what that feeling was like, you know, I asked these questions cause I want you guys to get to know, uh, you know, not only just the angler, but everything that kind of goes behind something like that. And, uh, it was just a really fun podcast to do. Steven shared a lot of great information and I hope you guys really liked that because it was one of my favorite podcasts that I've done to date and, uh, just a really good time. So anyways, uh, become a BHA member, backcountryhuntersandanglers.org and, uh, sign up because you can read awesome stories like this in the quarterly magazine. So, um, that's it for now. I'll have another great episode for you guys coming here shortly. And, uh, yeah, again, always thanks for being here. Thanks for listening and, uh, spending your day with, uh, and your time with me to listen to the podcast. So as always, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.